It is Friday, May 20th, 2016. This is Room in the Trees, a podcast about people who make stuff. It's about living life as a creative person. All of it. The following was recorded on May 12th, 2016. This is episode number six. Shut your monkey! Room in the Trees is hosted by Sabrina Ward-Harrison and me, Trent Reynolds. We are also joined today by artist and author Danny Gregory, who has recently published a book called Shut Your Monkey, How to Control Your Inner Critic and Get More Done. Also present today in our minds and hearts is Remy Lewis. I hope I'm saying that right. Our latest patron at patreon.com, Remik. Thank you for your support. I'm grateful for you and happy you are part of Room in the Trees. I hereby dedicate this episode to you. Unless you don't want me to. If you too are enjoying the podcast and would like to help us continue, we need your support. Head over to patreon.com backslash room and subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. We would love to grow this podcast into a community and bring you more great content. You can also help spread the word by rating us on iTunes and telling your friends about us. We have a great conversation for you today, so let us begin. All right, here we go. We're recording. Life in progress. Here we go. Our topic is going to be the inner critic. Danny, you sound like you're a DJ. (laughs) (laughs) Like in a... Like in a um, kind of like a late show, like a late love chats after dark. Right. We are. I do have a very, very soothing voice. <laughs> yes. I was born FM. Good. <laughs> What's your Keeping inner critic right now? Is this, how many podcasts have you done? How many episodes have I done? Yeah. Well, here's the thing is I keep. I keep making interviews with people for my podcast, but I never actually release my podcast. That's what we did so, for about a year. So I keep, yeah, I keep accumulating more and more of them. So it's possible that I'll just erase them all when I'm done, but we'll see. But how many, how many have you done like that? Like a dozen, maybe. maybe? Trent, do you want to share a little bit about how we started with it? Well, similar to this, I think we just started recording conversations. And at first, our conversations were so so personal like some of the information was not information we were comfortable sharing with other people and that kept us from wanting to to publish it as a podcast even though that was the original intent i think i have a bit more structure than you guys have but um i i don't know i I find that it's not i'm not worried about the personal issues and i think what i'm worried about actually the most is the commitment the commitment of continuing to do this if i launch it then i have to keep doing it whereas Mm -hmm. if i never launch it then then I don't have to worry about that but so I just keep accumulating more things and kind of pushing the sense of obligation further and further down the road um, right. so that I don't so eventually at one point I'll have recorded like five years of the podcast and then I can just step away and have it <laughs> automated <laughs> we relate to that yeah. <laughs> I mean I was thinking that it could be posthumous the whole thing that would be cool that's not a bad idea yeah, so I die, but, and then the next day my podcast starts. But well, uh, so if you're listening to if you're listening to this, it could be that you know yeah. that I'm dead. <laughs> for all th- for Hopefully, all that's a us. long way off. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I think, Danny, that you and I are probably a lot alike in a lot of ways. 
and I think um, I think that's what I find so compelling about having a recording conversation with Sabrina and, and collaborating in general with Sabrina is that very very opposite in a, in a lot of ways, um, and I think one of those ways being that she and and correct me if I'm wrong, Sabrina, you almost you feel stifled by too much structure. Yeah, had a <clears throat> meeting yesterday on Skype with someone about a licensing thing. And, uh, you know, there are all the typical questions like, well, so what's your work about? And what's your kind of vision? And da, 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 da. And I said, what if we just totally make it up from here? Just completely make up the conversation and just talk. And I felt I got to know her so much more in eight minutes of doing that. And she was uncomfortable by the end. I could tell it liberated her a little bit. I don't want to just go in like, hi, nice to meet you, so-and-so. And that's what I admire about Danny's, your process in teaching and is that like the authentic just experience and being present and just loosening it up in all the ways you can do that and shake the monkey up your back. I was going to ask you, Trent, what, um, how, how you feel about structure and why, why you think that it's important. Well, I think... Uh, Structure obviously informs our understanding of what it is we're doing, right? Or like what the ultimate goal is, what you know, what we're headed towards. Um, it's also a safety net. It kind of relieves us from having to, I don't know, uh, react constantly and differently to each bit of information because we kind of have an overall view of of what's happening. So I, I think it can be very constructive and generative because it gives us focus, but I think it can also uh, keep us from uh, engaging completely in a moment, keep us from really responding and being present. So I, I don't know, I can, I, I personally, structure is, is a comfort, comfort thing for me more than anything else, I think. Like, like recording today, you know, you, you wanted to kind of give a get a sense of structure before we hit record um and i would be the same way but i think uh, for sabrina, sabrina, sabrina sabotaged it yeah <laughs> she totally sabotaged it and she, and it's not that she wants to uh i i think that's she's more comfortable just hitting record and and not feeling this pressure of having to to create a structure and at the same time acknowledging that it took a lot of structure to get the whole day has basically been built around this conversation at this time. So it's not that I'm like, oh, I'm just press record, you know, like there is a structure to being once you're here, but once you're here, like really be here. That's all. Well, it's right. like jazz or something like that in the sense that yeah. jazz is, jazz has a, you know, you might have a theme, you might be playing a song that, you know, as a standard, but then you also allow yourself places to go. But That's I think a great metaphor. But if you're completely free form, you know, it, it can be it can become tedious, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think your audience has to have a lot of faith in you that you know what you're doing, that you're going to actually go somewhere worthwhile. And you know, like I, there's this pianist Keith Jarrett, mm -hmm. and he, you know, you know, and he'll like go into Carnegie Hall, That's and he exactly just sits down at a piano, yeah, and he like doesn't have any plan. And there he is in Carnegie Hall. They're recording him. And he just starts playing, and then he discovers things about what he's playing, and he keeps going. To, and it's always really interesting to listen to. But then again, he's also spent decades, you yeah. know, working in piano bars and playing every possible standard there is inside and out. So when he sits down, he's like he's there 
with you know all this experience behind him. So I think that's what worries me about doing a podcast in a way, because um, you know it's not a form that I'm necessarily that comfortable to expressing myself in, even though the mm. things that I'm talking about are things that I know. Um, so I think I want to have I want to have guardrails in it um, so that I don't worry the whole time that I'm talking that it's going to be all you know chaotic. So, that, but that's, it seems that's like in your art making process that it's it's not like that at all though is that right like it seems like yeah. what you're espousing in in like i just watched your video um about drawing made at breakfast time and it seems like implicitly you're, you're just saying you know take this moment of your life and and start making art and you're and yeah. why, why yeah, can't I, that I, be the same in, in a conversation like this i think because in doing this, this is a thing that we're making that is for an audience in a way. And a lot of times I find, like, I don't put any expectations on the things that I make that anybody else is going to see them. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in the process. So maybe it's because I'm new to this podcasting realm that I'm more in need of structure. Um, and I don't, I feel like I'm going to bore people at the end of this if it isn't, like, if I don't have a plan. Mm -hmm. Um but I also wonder, I mean, having, you know, been in advertising for a long time, which is a very tightly um, controlled, produced media uh -huh. that um, because, you know, there's millions of dollars at stake. There's lots and lots of decision makers and everything has to be kind of worked out. And you have to be accountable for what you're doing. That's kind of my background. But but I also feel like in any creative process, even if it is structured, mm -hmm. it begins with you know, a free form part of it. Even devising the structure is free form, you know? So I think you have to let yourself go at some point, whether it's at the, it may be at the beginning or it may be later on. Right. Hmm. I mean, Sabrina, with the stuff that you do, it seems like, like you're reacting to what you've made, right? You start putting something down on a page and then you react to it and add more stuff and do different things to it. Is that how it works? Um... I don't think I'm even reacting. I'm just experiencing. And then I'm, I guess my longing is to evoke and um, evoke that for other people through uh, visual, visual tone and color and light and in some ways some language, but it all is a base, it's really experience based. I'm committed to experience. Here in Madison today, I was I was really committed to trying to find someone to go canoeing with because I just really wish I had a canoe. And before the podcast, I'm like, I just want to go get a burger. And I talked to some people forever about canoes. And by the end of the conversation, canoe set up. We're going to go canoeing. It's going to happen. This girl was named Sam, like my best friend named Sam when I was eight in Canada. And we built forts. We were talking about frogs when we collect found frogs and you know and it, that made my day that that kind of so you hopefully you're staying with the unstructured format of this because i feel now self-conscious about that <laughs> <laughs> i think i think what that that whole segment right there what you just said is such a perfect illustration and i i have such a, personally i have such a hard time wrapping my mind around um that approach it is it's just it feels so uh so different than my own 
Well, I thought that was a cool solo. I mean, I think that, I think that. Um, <laughs> this is a cool I, riff. I, I, I sort of understand. I, I feel like I'm kind of in between you guys in that sense that when I, um, when I do a drawing, the reason that I do it is not to have done it, but to be doing it. And yeah. that, that I don't necessarily sit down at all. Almost always I don't sit down with an idea in my head of what it's going to be like when it's done. And I'm there to, but I think slightly different the, than you, Serena. I'm not reacting just to my own mind, but I'm reacting usually to a thing that I'm looking at and that I'm making a drawing of that thing. But uh -huh. I don't really have any idea of where it's going to go, what it's going to be like, or, and that to me is the fun of it. It's, and again, my, my goal is not to end up with a drawing, but my goal is to be present in the moment. And that's, and that's not a, yeah. that's not like a Zen, I don't have like a Zen objective. It really comes from my own um, kind of uh, therapeutic search for a way of getting out of my head and getting out of living in the future. This um, the, Because when I think too much about the future, and it's less true now that I've been drawing for a couple decades, but when I started doing this, it was definitely to get away from my fears of the future. And so I found that drawing anchored me in the present, and this whole process was about being here now. And that drawing and looking at a thing and kind of uncovering mm -hmm. it and discovering it was a way of shutting the monkey, you know, at a point when I didn't even know that that's what was going on. So in that uh, in that description, what is uh, what is the monkey? It's the it's the fear of the future. Yes, it's the it's not just the fear of the future. It's um, the monkey is saying, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. You know, you've done this and it's going to cause that, or this thing is about to happen. It's coming to, you know, it's going to creep out of the bushes and jump on you. There are all these terrible things that are happening. And um, in, in, the ca in my case, um, I had, I'm, I mean, I'm not, it's not really the place to talk about it, but I had undergone a trauma that, that made all of my conceptions about where my life was going to go had thrown up in the air. And instead, I didn't know where my life was going to go anymore. And so the monkey stepped in to tell me. And the things that it said were fictional, but mm -hmm. it was so good at it. It was so vivid that it seemed real. But then when I sat down and draw, drew a bagel, um, the bagel was infinitely more real than that. And so I was able to say, you know what, the monkey you know, is coming up with this. It could be one of a million things that's going to happen. Um, but the bagel is real and making Can the drawings real. Can I read a quote that Sabrina sent to me via uh, Instagram just yesterday? Sure. I think it's uh, relevant to what we're talking about. It's a quote by Audre Lorde, and it says, If I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. And I think this, I mean, the same goes for this this monkey, you know, this this thing that we come up in ourselves that that monkey is trying to define you is trying to define what your future is is it's this thing that you feel like is external to you um that's trying to make decisions for you right and the uh. part part of the point is to to take that power back away from the monkey and you get to decide you get to define who you are and what your what your future holds i don't know i thought right, absolutely I mean, yeah i mean i never that quote is, is really interesting to me. I personally never felt that concerned about what other people were thinking about because I sort of assumed that people weren't really thinking about me that much. But this voice inside of me was definitely thinking about me. And that's Absolutely. one wow. of the things I wrote about in this book is, you know, 
the monkey may be thinking about you all day long, but nobody else really is. Nobody else. Everybody else is thinking about themselves. But you sure feel yeah. like it. Like it yeah, takes a form yeah. of audience. I went through a thing of, of, of keeping my illustrated journals for years and then suddenly publishing a book that contained all of them. Mm -hmm. And then for the first time ever after, when I would do a drawing, I was always sort of aware, like, hmm, this could end up in a book. Um, it wasn't an overwhelming thought, but it certainly was a thought that hadn't been there when I first started. How old were you when you did that? When I published my first uh, book with drawings Journals, in it? Um, yeah. Um, in my late 30s. Yeah. Late 30s, yeah. So, um, you know, but but do you think that it's... Do you, are you aware of that? As a, is, that is that a form of monkey too, the sort of the public monkey? It is, and it's... I think, as we talked a little bit earlier today, Danny, when we were on the phone and Trenton uh, last week in our, our podcast conversation, um, we are living in a very interesting time on many levels about publishing, social media, the the era of paper, literal, literally publishing and making books when we started was a viable profession. <laughs> so when I started I always, you know, went by the belief of create what you most want to find. And I wanted to find, I would have wanted to find something that if I was in high school, I would have seen, I was, it would be evocative on a, a visual level, breaking the rules level of things being kind of in the gutter, not following all the design protocol, but yet still working on a visual scape of, there being an underlying design format to it and feeling less alone with the actual contents of it. And I felt, I felt I really could, could do it. And I remember being told by my fantastic editor, Becky Benate, who said, it's like a child. You just have to let it, it has its own life in the world. It, you just, you, you make it and you let it back into the world. The best use of me is not to be conscious of, of an audience every day of my life. It's to be as much as I can to be dropping back in and just sitting in the closet recording this podcast with you guys in stupid leggings that are awkwardly really bright green. <laughs> I'm wearing great bright green leggings too. <laughs> oh my gosh, guys, you won't believe this, but... <laughs> It's so funny because it's funny. I was I just was reading a book that I wrote a long time ago, um, a few days ago. I hadn't I haven't read it I think since like mm. it first came out, and yeah. that was a kind of a strange experience. Um, I think this is true of anything that you create. I mean, it's true. I have this relationship with my son. He's twenty one, and I have mm. the same feeling about him sometimes. Where you make this thing, and then I mean, my son isn't quite on the same level, but that you then see it again for the first time. And, you know, I, I'm sure that's true of paintings as well, that, that you can come, come upon something you did at another time and you can see it as if you're a viewer or a reader rather than as just as the creator. Because I, I think you can get away from it. You can not notice, not remember all the, the pain or, or, you know, annoyance that was involved in making it. And you can step back and go, hey, that's actually kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys have had that. And it can also not be interesting. And you could just be like, I just made it to make it, like building a fort. You just... Yeah, the, I don't look back on those ones. Yeah, just the physicality of making the uh, 
it, to to extend that metaphor though of having a child and releasing it into the world and uh, you know revisiting it and uh, I think it might be an apt metaphor also in the fact that um, other people it becomes its own thing and other people have a relationship with this thing whether it be your child or your creation and then they come back and all of a sudden that relationship they have with that other thing with their child or creation makes them feel like they have a certain relationship with you mm-hmm. or that, that it means something about you. So I, it, I got from our conversation last week, uh, Sabrina was that, um, the audience and what it, that audience became and how they viewed you and kind of the roles and, and expectations that they placed on you in response to your book wasn't always very great you know it was something that was was difficult in a lot of ways and you wanted them to just love your book and find value there love it like you loved it um Uh. and not as much um well as you were talking about the format uh, you know this the idea of a book and what it is and you wanted to be able to control um you you were interested in that format that form the book and people finding a book in a bookstore right and you like the that idea and then all that of a sudden we're in a, we're in we're in a in a in a time when they can see a page of your book on Instagram they can uh you know find uh and a podcast they can respond to a little snippet or you know that the the way that they interact with that thing is not as controlled anymore and which I, I totally, it's an g- interesting thing because you, are you finished with your thought? Do you want to say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, good, I, I like the fine. idea. That, no, I'm just going to just, just to cap yeah. it off is like the metaphor of this, uh, of your creation being this separate entity that people interact with, but also affects their relationship with you. I think is just, it's a very complicated and potentially mm. difficult one to navigate. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm done. You sound a little bit like a moderator in a debate, like, and go ahead, Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to. I'm just trying to stay out of the way. I think you no, two are. Yeah. Anyway. No. Uh, you know, I could have done like 16 of them by now, but I, they just, I feel like I'm like a single mother with five kids. Like I did them and they have their own life. And then I'm like, it's too close to the bone it, because it's so, there's so much truth in it. And Danny, you can probably relate to this with some of your personal stuff you share. It's some of them are relating to definitely certain relationships with certain boyfriends, and they're documented, very real loves of my life that were a part of the kind of structure of the books. Um, like my way, I look at them. I see all different details than other people maybe see. And they can resonate with things. But my experience with them is absolutely has its own, you know, just like a parent, you you see a whole sweet undertone of little delicacies of, and I'm sure, Danny, for you, when you're, <clears throat> anything you're observing and taking in, you're, the details still stay yours, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at my books and I remember... You know, they were, mm. they cover different chunks of my life. And um, so when I look at them, it'll take me back to those chunks. And I know that anybody else looking at them probably didn't have those feelings when they responded to it in some other way. But I think, you know, if you make something, 
you don't ne- you're not necessarily the exclusive owner and arbiter of what's right about mm-hmm. it. You know, you want other people to have their own and their own um, reactions to it mm-hmm. and to make it part of their history. I think that's mm-hmm. you don't want to just make write something. I mean, I think that that's what what makes art more important than just you know reading a book. You know, you can go and buy a book in the airport, read it. You have basically an expected reaction. You don't really bring much of yourself to it, and then you're yeah. done and you throw it away. But I think the books that matter, I mean, they're books that I've owned since I was three. Those books, like, I have a really deep feeling and connection to them. And I think what's interesting about what happens now is for most of my life, it would never have occurred to me to contact the author. I mean, mm. Sabrina, I've owned, I've owned, you know, some of your books for, like, 20 years or something like that. It never mm-hmm. occurred to me really to try to get in touch with you like I felt like you, I, I, I mean, partly it can be because it can be a disappointment. <laughs> you know, they always say, like, don't meet your heroes. But, um, but I think it's also now we're just so used to everybody being accessible and accessible in so many different ways and probed and so forth that, you know, in some ways it, it kind of removes some of the, the mystery. Um, yeah. But also, but also can theoretically give you more insight and more, um, you know, facets that you see about the thing and it may improve it. May enrich what you're doing or what you're experiencing. What, Danny? What What are the types of of challenges or unexpected, um, I don't know, consequences of engaging with the various audiences that you have? I, you have audiences for your books. You have classes. Yeah, I mean, I just always assume that nobody has any idea who I am or knows anything about me. I was in I was in um, Albuquerque couple weeks ago and my wife said to me well, when you're there why don't you just tell people that you're going to be there and you know maybe somebody will come meet you and I was like all right so I said on Facebook okay I'm going to be staying at this place and I'm going to go and have a beer in the roof and I went up there like I was actually 10 minutes late because I just thought well what am, what's the point I'm just going to go up there and, and then suddenly there were all these people there and when I started talking to them I I it was really interesting because invariably when I talk to people in those situations, I'm much more interested in finding out about them than I am particularly in finding out about what they mm. think of me, you know, but it's always, but I always assume that it, it would, it'll be an interesting conversation just because we have at least what I made in common and probably a lot more if they liked it, then they probably like the same things I do. So that's interesting. Mm. Um, you know, but I always feel like Sabrina with your stuff, I feel because, um, it is it is more abstract in a way the emotions I mean and it appeals to probably a much broader kind of group of people than than my stories do that you must have encounters that are like much more charged than I do <laughs> if you do have them like paparazzi and you know <laughs> <things like> <laughs> no 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 but I felt even I felt even with you I felt I was just when you said the idea of like, don't meet your heroes because they'll let you down or I don't know how you put it, but, um, I really felt because of the snafu that happened last week, it was a very real feeling that you had an expectation of me that I did not meet. And that, that's, I'm everybody's disapproving father. Yeah. Really? Do you feel like that sometimes? No. No, I think I, I think people can have that reaction to me. Yeah, sometimes, sure. Mm-hmm. But go on. I'm sorry. What were you saying? So just saying that that's you know my my inner critic or my monkey on my back is that <clears throat> I will be 
um, kind of open to something and then somehow, uh, I'm not sure how to, kind of how to put it, but the feeling I'm going to let someone down. Trent, can I ask you something? Sure. Yeah. Do you, like when you're, when you're <laughs> painting, do you, are you, what role does the person who's ultimately going to see your painting play in your head when you're making it? Um, you know, I am a, I am a people pleaser. And so it, it is very difficult for me to, to shut those voices off. The voices of, you know, ultimately what people will respond to, whether they'll like it or not. Will I be able to interest a gallery in this work? There's, there are so many voices that uh, I find I'm very susceptible to. So when I feel like I'm at my best and when I feel most uh, present and most uh, honest in, my, in whatever it is I'm creating, whether it be uh, a painting or, or anything, writing an email, is, is when I'm able to, uh, to get those voices out of my head. And I think I've accomplished that. I've been successful at that only a few times. So now, when you make something under those conditions, do you does it accomplish the goals of satisfying the, that audience? You know, like yeah. when you disengage from the audience, you think you're more you're more likely to satisfy them. In fact, yes. And and uh, one of the things uh, uh, one of my mentors in in school taught me uh, was that the more the more in depth, the more intensely we turn inward and are honest and, and really searching for our truth, the more we're pointed inward, the more intensely we try to, to find that, the more generous it will feel to our audience. So it's, all, it's kind of this paradox, you know, like the more introverted we are, the more extroverted our artwork will feel. And I think there's some truth to that. Mm -hmm. I think the more... Is it because it's like a, uni is it a universality? Yeah, the, the deeper you go, the more universally you become. I think right. May Sarton said that, yeah. Yes, and, and I think the level of specificity is is more accessible to to people rather than when you're when you're trying to uh to have a conversation or appeal to an, an audience i think you tend to generalize and and start to get into cliche and you start to you know i i think on the opposite side of the spectrum when you're more personal and when you're really seeking for that that your truth you become more specific and i think that specificity those details are what people can latch onto and relate to because we all can kind of function on a very general, you know, cliche level, but it doesn't really feel uh, honest, if that makes sense. That's interesting. I'm, I've been, I've been, um, I have to go and give a talk in a couple of weeks, and I'm talking about this book, Shut Your Monkey. It's the first talk that I've given um, on the subject for a while, huh. kind of more or less ever. I mean, I gave, I gave a talk a, a few years ago that actually led to this book. But this is the first time I'm giving a talk after giving the book, after writing the book, and I've been angsting about this for months. I have it on my calendar. I put a like a weekly thing on my calendar: nine weeks to go, eight weeks to go, mm. and and I keep finding ways to put it off. And I've thought about it, and I've structured it, and I've rewritten it. And it's weird to me because I I wrote this book. It's based on blog posts I wrote. I'm doing these podcasts and talking about it. I I know this stuff. I really do, um, and and I'm not certainly not afraid of speaking in public I do it a lot but there's something about doing this particular thing and thinking about how people are going to receive it 
that um, has really, like, I've been tripping over it. And, and today was the first time when I was, I said, okay, I'm going to lay out some time. I'm going to work on, on this thing. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to start talking. I'm just going to do it. And I was very, very hesitant, kept tripping over what I was saying and so forth. And then suddenly something clicked and I realized I just need to talk about this from my own personal experience, just act as if I'm speaking to each one of these people individually and say, like, you know, we all have this thing in us. And here's what I've experienced and here's what I've learned about it. But it was really hard for me, going back to what we were talking about earlier about structure, for me to get past this need for structure. And the structure was so overwhelming, Mm -hmm. my ability to be fluid and uh, honest about it. Um, But as soon as I thought, you know what, I'm just going to talk like I'm talking now to you guys, even though I'm standing in a room with like, you know, lots of people on folding chairs, I'm going to still be able to be direct. I think that will be much more valuable than having some artfully directed mm. plan. Right. But Amen. I Amen. I know another, I'm like... It could be another disaster too, though. No, so no. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, it's, you got to take that risk. I mean, part of structure is it's comfortable, but you also are not going to get to the high that you can mm. and the level of honesty you can if, if you take that structure away. Right. Uh, it's par- partially it's the vulnerability and vulnerability by definition means you can fail. I don't think it's right. a bad it's like, thing. You, yeah. You know, uh, clutching the handrail as you climb up to the t- top of the 10 meter diving board, you know, but then there comes a point where you have to kind of inch your way out there and jump. Um, Absolutely. And, you, you and that's know. what the whole book is about. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I um, I've now spoken to like a couple of shrinks about this. And there I feel the most fraudulent, you know, because I'm like, what the hell do I know? And, you know, I'm not a psychologist and I, you know, and sometimes they'll say things that are kind of disagreement and sometimes in direct contradiction to what I've written. Hmm. And I said, what the hell with it? I'm not, a, I don't know what I'm doing. So that's fine. What, what, can you give it an example? We don't have to, and then none of this that we share has to be all public. Like we don't have to publish all this, but it's good just to have the, oh, I'm sure nobody's keep the conversation. This is no, for us, no, see, right? There we us. go. This is, this is us. This is the way we We're avoid st- having to worry about it because uh, yes. so, forth. Yeah. so in relation to, can you share a little bit about that for you? I'm curious. Well, I think, I, well, I think one of the things, um, you know, I've been working under this impression that um, this voice is really universal and that everybody has it and that in part it it stems from this, the amygdala, you know, this, this um, the reptile brain that protects us and is you know is mm. sort of the core part of our brain the fight or flight thing that really just is mm. a voice that's going to say like jump and in part of it is that it's um you know this voice that came into your head when you were a kid and your and your mother told you not to run with scissors or or mm. you know or it could have been a teacher or something that there's some voice that was implanted in you so i was talking to the psychologist last week and she said you know it really comes from people who had a very um, a scolding or derisive kind of uh, authority uh. figure when they were young and I was like you mean so if you had like super nice parents and everybody was really nice to you and supportive you wouldn't really have this problem and she sort of seemed to be going there with it and I thought oh man so so it is me it's not hmm. it's not just like the universal human condition I think what she went on to say really was that there are varieties of this that 
that if you did live in, if did, if you did grow up in a very supportive environment where your parents were, you know, directing you perhaps, like, hmm, I wouldn't run with those scissors, but then could have went on to explain it and, you know, showed you why it wasn't a good thing and you were sort of okay with the, with the critique as opposed to saying, like, give me that, you know, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Um, mm-hmm. So if you had that kind of a voice, what would happen is at some point in your life, you're going to run into an, you're going to run into somebody in a position of authority who's going to mm-hmm. judge you or is going to mm-hmm. dismiss you. But if you've had this n- sort of more nurturing um, authority figures early in your life, when you come upon one of those, say you, you go to college and suddenly there's this teacher who calls you an idiot and, and dismisses yeah. what you've done, your feeling is going to be, well, what's wrong with them as opposed to what's wrong with me? Mm. So, or, or the other way, it's so much more powerful. You just feel like everything that you are encouraged is, sorry to jump in. Sorry. No, no, no. Go on. No, that's all I had to say. But just, no, you, just when I thought you were leading up to saying the shock of when you were, like, I felt my parents were really conscious of, you know, very 70s. You know, my mom was a parent educator and focusing on childhood development, and they were fantastic parents. But then there's the, the, inner critic voices, the monkey on your back feel, feel like kind of unknown, scary. Oh my gosh. Stop, stop crying. But it's, it's almost more, it's pretty intense because they're kind of people so that you don't even know. Like, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's almost like you didn't have, you didn't have like your armor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So keep, yeah, I think there's also a. I I think uh, probably which uh, another response to that the, the person that you're talking to the psychologist that um, is there's definitely a nature nurture conversation to be had there as well. Like I mm-hmm. I don't I know that this this critical voice that I've got I've got a I've got a very self critical default voice. Uh, my monkey is is not very kind. Um, I don't, that certainly was not something handed to me by my, by my parents or any one authority figure. I can't, I can't, looking back through my history, I can't think of any single person that, that might have uh, done that. It's just part of who I am. You know, it, could it, could it be that, you know, just some of us are naturally, uh, you know, born with a, a self-critical nature? Well, it's interesting that you say that because she said exactly that. She said, you know, you can have a family that you have... Um, you know, half a dozen kids in it, and they all can have different reactions to it, even though they grew up in the same environment. You know, so there's right. definitely um, there's definitely a lot of um, of it is is wired into you in the first place. So right. So um, yes. And is that Listeners in contradiction? To, my, yeah. to to is that in contradiction? Not really. No. No, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think because I do believe that. Um, you know, we all have some degree of it. I think the amount of, of uh, you know, likelihood that we succumb to it varies. I also think that creative people have more of an issue with it. You know, I think yeah. we have, we do, we do more stuff that we get 
uh, that we have evaluated. We put ourselves out there more. We take bigger risks. And all of those are things that set the voice off, you know, that we're, that we're more likely to beat ourselves up because we're, you know, as opposed to having a job that's very safe or, or yes. you know, yeah. um, having a life that isn't, that isn't um, on the edge the way a lot of our lives are, our, our jobs are. That rings true to me too, yeah. yeah. Before we wrap up, Danny, will you take a yes. couple minutes and, and uh, just tell us about your book? I want the audience that we do have to, to be able to hear what you're all about and get excited about going to get your book. Well, if you're still listening, this is the best $14.99 you will ever spend. It's available in bookstores everywhere, and uh, it's called Shut Your Monkey, How to Control Your Inner Critic and Get More Done. And basically, uh, it's a book that's about the voice that was in my head and how I kind of set out to find out why it was there um, I, and what it was doing. Um, you know, I've worked as a creative person for a long time, and I've also managed a lot of other creative people and, and hired creative people. So I've dealt with all kinds of people, and I see that this is a like a chronic thing, and, and it leads people to to sabotage themselves. It leads them to not create work that they should. It leads them to behave badly, to do self-destructive things like, you know, take drugs and eat too much and watch too much uh reality TV and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. that ultimately it stems from some of the things we've been talking about here. It stems from your past. Um, and the, you know, we have d- different degrees of sensitivity to it, but we all have it there. But then I go on to try and figure out like, well, what do we do about it? And I sort of talk about different strategies for it. One of the first is really to recognize that it's a thing and that it's a thing that isn't really you. It's a thing that's sort of a separate thing that you carry around with you. And that if you can separate it from yourself, you can realize that it's not really right about most things. But also it can be used as, as a way to make your work better. Not necessarily because its criticism is valid, but because it's a way of pushing yourself. Um, I also think that another way to, to deal with it is to be more productive. And that the more work you make and the more you focus on actually making stuff and not evaluating it, but just making it, the more that voice kind of disappears. And that ultimately, for a creative person, the focus shouldn't be just on deciding whether what you're doing is any good. It should be just on doing stuff and making stuff. And the world is probably going to decide, and the world may often be better at figuring out whether what you're doing is any good than you are. But there's lots of things that you can do and create, and that's really what your focus should be on. Um, So there's other things in it, but, but I think really ultimately what I want to encourage people to do is to take control of this because I see a lot of people whose lives are made miserable by self-sabotage and that if you can get past it, you can live the life that you want to live. You can make the stuff that the world needs you to make and that ultimately Mm -hmm. if you can kind of focus on the task of serving other people, that what you make is ultimately of service to others um, and that that's why you need to do it and that can be one of the best ways to to deal with the monkey is to say, you know, you're right, I do suck, but people need me to do this. I need to solve this problem. I need to entertain people. I need to show them the truth. I need to lead them to their own truths. And, you know, we'll get around to beating me up later on. Let me just get over, get this done. I think that's really well said. And I think uh, that sounds like a valuable message for, for anybody that's involved in creativity. And uh, we're especially, as a group, I think you're right, we're especially susceptible to this to this uh, critical voice inside our head. So mm-hmm. I hope I hope everybody goes out and gets your book. Yeah, and is there a way to download it also? Can they buy it on 
Yeah, it's on it's on Amazon. It's on the Kindle. Um, it's going to come out. I, I, I just sold the rights to it in Turkish. Um, so oh. it's, it's available in a, in a range of different languages, too, over time. But um, it has an attractive uh, blue cover with the yellow banana peel on it. So Yes. Look, for, look for it in a... In a and what will be the format. website for your podcast? How can people go um, to You know, it's, as I said, if it ever comes out, it will be <laughs> um, on... You can go to dannygregory.com slash monkey. So the slash monkey will take you to the podcast. Um, and also, I, I or you can find it on my blog, which is dannygregorysblog.com. Fantastic. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And many thanks to Danny Gregory. Go to dannygregory.com to read more about the many other things Danny is involved in and to see more of his art. We really appreciate him making time to talk with us. You can find show notes for this episode at roominthetrees.com. You can support us at patreon.com backslash room and by rating us on iTunes and by telling your friends. My brother Brent William Reynolds provided the music for this podcast and you can hear more of his music on soundcloud.com by searching for Venters Stag Hotel. Now it is time for you to shut your monkey and start making stuff. Share what you're up to on Instagram by adding hashtag room in the trees to your post. Show us what you're working on. Join us next week for a conversation with Sabrina's father, John Kent Harrison.